You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Five principles for success. And I'm going to name them, but uh, you don't need to write out the list because they're going to come up in the order that I'm about to share with you and we'll treat each one in that order. So what are the five principles of success? Well, first of all, an adequate preparation. Secondly, a proper discernment. Thirdly, inner confidence. Fourthly, spiritual resources. And then lastly, an unselfish involvement. God wants you to be successful. There are many who interpret this truth to mean God wants you to have a lot of money, a secure job, a big house, and a happy family. Those things aren't bad things, but you can lack every single one and still be successful in God's eyes. In today's message, Pastor Mike will explore what it means to find success as a follower of God laying out some principles that can guide you to a purposeful life that glorifies God and brings joy and peace to your heart. Now, here's Pastor Mike in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 17 as he begins his message, Principles for Success. So let's pick up in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 40 through 51. Verse 40, then he, that is David, took his staff, and that would be the shepherd's staff. Uh, By the way, that staff was used to to lead and guide and and protect uh, the sheep. So David had it in his hand. And he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag, in a pouch, which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So the Philistines came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? The reference to that staff, the shepherd's staff, the sticks. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Oh boy, that was uh, Goliath's mistake. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. So the threat of the Philistine. But notice the way that David responded. David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. 
and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. So David uh, engages in this battle. Notice here, according to what we are told there in the latter part of verse 46, for God's glory. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, but the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. And so it was when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, that David hurried and ran towards the army to meet the Philistine there in the middle of the ravine. Remember, both uh, armies were on uh, either side of that ravine on the hill, and uh, each day the Philistine would come down into the ravine and make the challenge against the armies of Israel. So now they're, they're meeting in the ravine where this contest is going to take place. Then David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. And so that that stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. And so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Okay, now, there are several important principles that can be drawn from this account, helping us to deal with the inevitable trials of life, the things that we experience. I mean, there are times when we face unexpected threats to our safety and well uh, being. That is our Goliaths, you know, threats of the physical, financial, and spiritual sort. And so to face these difficulties, we need five things. And those five things are what I refer to as five principles for success. And I'm going to name them, but uh, you don't need to write out the list because they're going to come up in the order that I'm about to share with you and we'll treat each one in that order. So what are the five principles of success? Well, first of all, an adequate preparation. Secondly, a proper discernment. Thirdly, inner confidence. Fourthly, spiritual resources. And then lastly, an unselfish involvement. So these are the five principles of success that we're going to be treating. So let's see how that they played out in David's life. And let's take them in that order. The first principle is the need for adequate preparation. Now, to illustrate this, I'm thinking of those athletes who just competed in this year's Super Bowl. That is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs. But I'm particularly thinking about Tom Brady. Now, listen, if you're a New York football fan, you probably don't like me using him as an illustration of this. But nevertheless, I'm going to. I mean, come on, Tom Brady. He's won the Super Bowl seven times. He has seven rings. And how did he achieve uh, those uh, victories? Well, think about what's involved in being an athlete and performing at the highest level. The athletes have to diligently prepare over many uh, years for those events. You know, think about the discipline that's involved, the practice, the hours, the days, the weeks, the months of practice. 
Uh, the exercise, you know, the programs of exercises that they put themselves through. Applying themselves to learning. Like, for example, if you're a, uh, a quarterback, and Tom Brady is a quarterback, and that's one of the reasons why I used him as an example uh, this morning. I mean, he had to learn the complex uh, offenses, right, to run the offense for uh, his team. He also had to be able to read defenses, and he had to call audibles at the line when they came up to, you know, to engage in, uh, against the, the team that they were playing. You know, he would view over and watch over the defenses to see what kind of defenses they were in, and many times he would call, uh, call, he would call an audible before the ball was snapped. So all of this, you know, applying himself to learning, this is something that just doesn't happen. It takes a lot of discipline, a lot of preparation. Let me give you another example of this. Uh, from the medical uh, community, doctors, surgeons, think about the many years they spend in medical school to develop their skills so that they may perform delicate operations. Or how about teachers who teach our children? They need to be well-educated in truths and skills to be able to communicate the content of the courses in ways that motivate and stimulate the students that they're addressing to uh, learn. So listen, to excel in our careers and our professions, there needs to be preparation. Now this is not only true in our own careers and profession, but this is also true in spiritual uh, matters. Now I want you to think about this. If you want to be successful in spiritual matters, that is, you want to be victorious over temptation and a sin, you have to prepare. And how do we prepare? Well, we have to develop the right, the right way of thinking, and we're going to develop that idea and this example uh, further in one of our other uh, points this morning. But we need to understand that there is a battle going on to control our minds. And therefore, we need to subscribe to the correct body of uh, ethics. How? Well, we need to acquire a knowledge of God's word. That's how we combat this. That's how we prepare. We need to develop a biblical uh, philosophy of life, what I often refer to as a Christian worldview. Listen, we need to prepare. Now, getting back to David, Notice, he didn't just suddenly acquire skill in using that sling that he used to defeat the champion of the Philistine. And I bet while caring for his father's sheep on the side of that mountain, he had plenty of time to practice and sharpen that skill, you know, probably setting up targets on boulders and trees. Remember, the sling was a weapon of the shepherds. And he used those skills to drive off the wolves, the coyotes, the natural predators of the sheep that threatened the flock. And years of practice made him proficient in the use of this weapon. The point is, is that David prepared. But also, more importantly, David had developed a remarkable sensitivity to the presence of God which was a part of his spiritual preparation. Remember, I said this is just as important, probably even more important. You see, on the side of that mountain, tending to his dad's sheep, meditating upon the events that had happened 
since Samuel came down to his father's house, Jesse, and anointed him as the next king over Israel and Saul's place. And you can just imagine, you know, when David went back after that anointing to tend for his father's sheep, he was just contemplating what had just taken place, meditating alone, uh, just him and uh, God. And during which time, uh, I'm sure that he also, because he had plenty of time to do this alone with the sheep, he would often contemplate God's works, you know, out there in creation, on there on the side of, a, of the mountain. He was probably meditating upon the power of God. He was just in awe of uh, God. And so this assisted him in preparing him for spiritual uh, success. You know, so many of David's psalms reflect his meditative exercises. And the point that I'm trying to make is, you know, we need to take some time out regularly to do likewise. You know, just spend some time just thinking about who God is, the character of God, the nature of God. You know, as we study the Word and look for the practical applications of that. And this is one of the ways that we prepare spiritually. You know, I, I would like for us to turn, if you would, to the 29th Psalm. And here's an example of this. And again, I, I think that this is very revealing as it relates to and reflects, you know, the uh, meditative uh, exercises that David put himself through so that he prepared spiritually. Like, for example, and this is true of so many of the Psalms that David wrote and are recorded for us in the book of Psalms, but I wanted to uh, draw your attention particularly to the 29th Psalm. So if you just turn there with me, I'd like to read it in its entirety. Verse 1, Give unto the Lord, O you mighty ones. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Now, and think about the relationship as we go through this. I want you to just think about that, that inner quality, that meditative exercise of, of David that helped him come to these conclusions that are recorded for us here in this psalm. Give unto the Lord the glory, do his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. He probably, by the way, wrote this psalm when he was tending to the sheep on the side of that mountain. Verse 3, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf. Lebanon and Surin, like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakens the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says glory. So do you see how he's thinking about all of the things that are a part of life's experience? And he puts God behind each and every one of them. The Lord sat enthroned at the flood, and the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with Peace. So all of these preparations culminated in a devout spirit that led David to identify himself with God and his plans for God's people. You see, David was prepared experientially and spiritually to meet the threat that was posed by the Philistine invasion. But then in contrast, think about this, Saul and his men were not. 
They were not prepared. And so for 40 days, as we were told previously in our study, they endured Goliath's everyday taunting them. They were bankrupt in faith. Folks, we need an adequate preparation for our careers, yes, and a thorough knowledge of the Bible and its application to life. And in facing the different crises of life, we will find that we have been prepared spiritually and experientially for our tasks. So that's the first principle. We need to prepare. The second principle for success that I want to draw your attention to, we need a proper discernment. Listen, when Goliath defied and taunted God's people, they cowered. Why? Because they lacked discernment. All they saw was the ability by this champion of the Philistines to do them harm. That was the only thing that they considered. There was an absence of discernment. And notice, there's no prayer. And what is prayer? Basically, making our needs known to God, appealing to God in our particular situation. But no, there's, there's an absence of prayer here. No prayers are being offered up to God right during this time. And, uh, you know, they just cowered under the threat of Goliath. Also, let me ask you this question. Where are the priests in this story? And what were the priests' occupation? What were they supposed to be doing? Well, they were supposed to encourage the people of God to faith. And, and by the way, just a, a side note, you know, that's what the pastor's role is. You know, week in and week out, encouraging you to faith or the study of the word of God, right? But there's an absence of this. Where are the priests in this story? They're not anywhere to be found. They gave no thought, that is on a whole, Israel, they gave no thought to the Lord. And as a result, they were powerless. Now, today, the possibility of being deprived of one's freedom, being harmed in some way, is a real danger for Christians. There is persecution in one form or another for our beliefs. You know there are pressures being placed upon us to compromise with a superior power for the sake of some temporal advantage. You say, Pastor, what am I referring to? Well, think about this. There is philosophical dangers. I'll give you an example of this. The news media with its commitment to secularism, subtly seeking to bias our minds by presenting a well-packaged, misleading view of life. Then there's the entertainment industry, with its adherence to hedonism, which daily erodes our moral values. Have you taken note of the things that are being broadcast over our TV and TV stations today? Hedonism. How about in our schools? In our universities, educators are thoroughly committed to the tenets of humanism and existentialism, misleading our youth. All of these are dangers. And then you have the helping professions of sociology, psychology, medicine. Their counsel is too often based on behaviorism, relativism, and expediency. In commerce and in industry, those who wish to rise to the top sometimes adopt the creed of beliefs in which the end justifies the means. Pragmatism. Folks, these philosophical dangers are just as huge as the giant that David confronted. 
And just as David needed discernment in his evaluation of Goliath's threats, so we need the kind of wisdom that comes only from a prolonged meditation upon God's word. And listen, let me tell you something. There's no substitute for this. No substitute whatsoever for the study of God's word. And and listen, you know, I, I would encourage you, and you know, so many people, rather than, you know, committing themselves to a regular study of God's word, you know, have, uh, as an alternative, you know, purchase these books that have been written by these popular so-called Christian authors, you know, to get their uh, spiritual uh, food. And, uh, and there are some great writers out there, don't misunderstand, but there's no substitute for your personal time spending each day alone with God. Remember, as I mentioned before, we appeal to whom? The great teacher who is the Holy Spirit. Do, you know, and there's no substitute for this. I, I don't care how popular the author, uh, the writer of the book that you, hap, ha, you know, are, are, happen to be reading at a, any particular time, uh, and, and if it helps you and encourages you and you're walking your relationship with the Lord, that's good and well. But you need to have a regular time personally studying God's Word and allowing God's Holy Spirit to open it up to you to minister to you, to speak to you in relevant ways, to provide counsel for you. And again, there's no substitute for that. So, okay, you want to read a, a, a book by a popular author, your favorite uh, Bible teacher? Fine. But again, man, make sure that you spend some time regularly each day studying God's uh, Word. So, we need a proper discernment. So that is the second principle for success. Well, let's go on. The third principle is that we need an inner confidence. Notice here, David felt confident in himself and in his relationship with the Lord. And that was the very thing that enabled him to go out against this Philistine, this champion. And this was expressed by David, notice, in verses 32, 36, and 37. Let's go back and revisit those verses of Scripture. Verse 32, then David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with the Philistine. Notice the confidence on David's part. Verses 36 and 37, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. David's not bragging here. He's not being macho. He just knew who he was with God. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house. That's all we have time for on this edition of In My Father's House. Did you know that you could listen to Pastor Mike's teachings on your favorite podcast app? Just search for In My Father's House and be sure to subscribe. And let us know you're a listener in the comments. 
We'd love for you to join us for worship this Sunday at Harvest Christian Fellowship, too. You can find all the information you need at harvestnyc.org. While you're there, you can reserve your seat by clicking on Contact and then the Register link. We're located in Midtown Manhattan, and there's easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. If you're not in the area, or if you're unable to attend in person, we'd still like to have you be a part of our time studying God's Word. We're live streaming our services each week, and you can connect on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. If you'd like to catch previous Sunday messages, click on the Resources tab. You can also watch services through our Vimeo link or connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Links to all of these are available at our website. One more time, that's harvestnyc.org. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to remind you just how much your Heavenly Father loves you. We also want you to know how grateful we are to have you as a part of our listening audience. Thanks again for joining us today, and we look forward to our continuing study of 1 Samuel next time here on In My Father's House. There's a place for me.